My, oh, my, oh, my, nothing like a little Michael Jackson. <laughs> uh, such a talented individual. And for um, all of you watching on the recording, it's because we were listening <laughs> to Thriller as we got into the call today. You're listening to just the recording. You have no idea what Les is talking about, which is usual for all of us. <laughs> yeah, well, Michael Jackson Thriller on the playlist. So, yeah, you're listening to recording. You didn't hear that. Uh, just got us all pumped up. Um, well, welcome to Real Talk, everyone. Uh, my name is Les Nino. Of course, I'm here with the greatest coaches in the world, Justin Weaver, Tim Mann, and of course, the greatest of all time, Lisa Barber. We are so, I know, look at her, she shakes her head at me. <laughs> so delighted to be with you today. Um, we were sitting around, as we tell you often, sometimes we choose our theme, um, five minutes before the call and we work well with that when we used to schedule them months in advance it's just got it felt stale it's, it's what's happening today right now what are we hearing what are we what you know what's going on in our calls and our interaction with the coaches and and what what do we need to talk about and 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 we i just thought you know what this is our uh, this is our last real talk before halloween and i'm like that's a very scary time and i'm wondering if as coaches we ever have scary moments right um, and so that's going to be our theme. What scares you, right? And so we're going to get into that. And that really can be some really good conversation. Uh, but before we do that, what I'd like to do is just remind you that in the chat box, what we need to do is change the settings. So when you go in there and type something in, you want to make sure that the setting says everyone. And so everyone will be able to see your comments then. And that's when this thing really works best, when everyone can see everyone's comments. And so just change that to everyone on the count of three. One, two, three, everyone. Okay, just go down there with your cursor and change that to everyone. Some of them are still coming to us as the hosts. And that means everyone's not seeing your message. Um, and I want to ask this one thing. Um, how many first timers do we have for us today? How many time, how many, this is the first time you've been on a real talk with us? Tell us in the chat box, if you would, first timer, first timer. Look at that. Look at that. So welcome, man. We love it. We love it. I'm getting to think that it's all first timers here. Okay. <laughs> That's fabulous. Now we got a good crowd. We're sneaking up on 300 here. Nice. A lot of first-timers, coaches. That's great. Uh, we are recording this, by the way. And so if uh, you have to leave early um, and uh, you, know, you want to be listened to it, of course, you'll get an email with the recordings that you can go back and listen. Uh, you might have you know, maybe not taken notes where you wanted to and for something, or maybe you had a uh, disruption uh, at home or wherever you are. Um, yeah, so this is recorded. You'll have access to that. If you're watching this recorded, you know that already. Okay, <laughs> so I won't have to say it. All right, so I want to I do a little icebreaker. This will be fun uh, before we get into this serious talk, right? Uh, I just want to ask our three coaches, and I'll share too, but I want to ask, what is your fondest memory or scariest memory, whatever, right? What is your fondest memory of Halloween? Hmm. When you think about Halloween as a kid growing up, what comes to mind? I think for me, it's got to be when you would Haunted come House back. Sixth grade. When you would come back from trick-or-treating, right? And I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. That's when I did all of my trick-or-treating. And so you would come back with your, you know, big bag of candy or whatever it was. And me and my brother and my sister would all sit in the den of our house and we'd each dump out all of our candy. Then we'd all sort it out into the different types because you wanted to see what all did you get? How big was your haul? Uh, how much of the good candy did you get? How much of the candy that you didn't like? Right. And then yeah, I trade with my brother and sister. Was there a competition? No, it wasn't really a competition because we would all go to the same houses. Right? Oh, we would I all see. go together. Okay. But it would just we just it was it was almost like a Christmas morning kind of thing where we would all open up our presents and we'd see that. But we it's just we would be marvel together with how much candy we had. That's what it was. Nice. Someone said that they would trade. Well, I don't really want this. Do you want it? You know, and that kind of thing. So, yeah. 
Lisa, I see you shaking your head. Did you do the trading thing? You had a lot of siblings. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. But I had brothers a year older than me, twins. And so we did comp it, we went out with our individual friends. Oh. And then come home and the competition was who collected the best or the who had the biggest uh, haul. The most candy. <laughs> and then we would do the trading. Yeah. And y'all I, I no, I grew up in a different time than a lot of people, you know. Oh, and we uh, were a lot safer. And we <laughs> trick or treated until eleven o'clock at night, all by ourselves. We'd go miles over the neighborhoods and come home running through the whole neighborhoods. And you know, we uh, parents would be scooting us off, get off my porch, it's bedtime. And you know, didn't you not see my light was out? Nope, you still got candy, trick or treat. You know, it didn't matter to us. We were just having fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Homemade costumes. Somebody talked about the plastic costumes and masks, right, from the 70s, probably. You know, just those were scary <laughs> enough by themselves, weren't they? I mean, amazing. <laughs> so I know Tim has something pretty. <laughs> I, I am a huge fan of all things costume. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I, uh, in my spare time, I'm a member of the 501st, which is a uh, professional grade Star Wars costuming group that goes and does stuff with children's hospitals and uh, different events throughout town and such like that. It has to be movie accurate costumes, very, very fun stuff, elaborate stuff. Uh, so for, for me, Halloween is not just about a day on the calendar. It's about like getting to dress up. But I remember probably my favorite costuming day ever uh, as a kid. Uh, I was a little kid, probably six or seven at the time. And what was huge at that point in history and culture uh, was all about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And so my sister and I went uh, as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, that year. And of course, we were not a wealthy family. And so we had homemade Ninja Turtles costumes. We actually got cardboard. My dad helped us cut out the cardboard boxes into the shape of shells that we then spray painted and put over like green sweats. And it was a blast. And I will never, ever, ever forget that. Uh, and to this day, my sister makes some of the most elaborate <laughs> Halloween costumes I've ever seen. I mean, she has done a full size like rabbit coming out of a hat with the magic wand. Like she cut the bottom out of a trash can and attached wheels to it and a rim and made a hat like insane. Like both my sister and I have loved, love, love uh, building those things throughout the years. And so I've got a lot of fond memories of getting to pretend so- to be somebody I'm not. So there you go. Uh, that's another psychological study for another day. Mm. I'm fighting because I have two really good stories, but since our theme is scary, um, I've got to tell a story that my brother and I did when we were living together. We were older. Um, I guess I was around 18, maybe, and he was like 23. Um, But my brother always had this uh, Frankenstein costume. Um, It was just like the coat that he would put on backwards. Um, but he had the whole green Frankenstein gloves and it was like, a, you know, fake hands. And uh, he had the full mask that would go over his entire head. Um, and it was just ingenious. And he was like six, four. Uh, he was a big guy anyway. And so when he would do his little Frankenstein, you know, he was just he was big Frankenstein. Very scary. Well, I was working. I was working for uh, a disco organization at the time, and they wanted us to spin records that weekend. Quit, Justin. They wanted us to spin records um, in costume. So they gave us, I'm back, this is back. I, I think we need to see proof that you worked at a disco. Can you this show is us like the 19, This is like 1978, right? <laughs> but they, were, they gave us $50 each to get professional makeup and everything to get costume. Now, 50 bucks in 1978 was a lot of money. Um, So I actually got made up as the werewolf where they really spirit gummed hair on my face. And I mean, it was it was like a real werewolf. And so what we did was they had our door open, but just a screen door. So the big door was open and it was dark and the kids would just come up the stairs to our apartment. Um, uh, It was a house, the two story. We were the downstairs, the part of the house. As they would approach the porch, they would hear we had a record album playing and we had that scary music just going. And uh, so my brother would all of a sudden be stamping his foot coming to the door and they'd be like, who's coming? Oh, look, ah, it's Frankenstein. Well, by the time they would run off the porch because of Frankenstein, 
I was hiding in the front bushes as the werewolf, and I would sabotage them from the front out of the bushes, and I'd go, oh, that's the werewolf. And so the kids were just screaming. We had hundreds of kids by the end of the night because they're like, that house, we got to go to that house. So my brother and I still to this day remember and laugh about that. It was so fun. Um, but yeah, scary, scary. Um, so coaches, <laughs> shifting gears. <laughs> Tim. Yes. <laughs> um, Let me help you out here. <laughs> out of the very deep um, hole you've already begun to dig. As a coach, as a coach, talk about a time, maybe when you first got started, as you thought about doing it, I don't know. Talk about a time that something just flat out scared you. You said specifically as a coach or not specifically as a coach? Well, I I want to I want to try to do a coaching theme as coaches. What could scare us? Mm-hmm. Um, you need time to think. No, I I just wanted to, I know, to narrow I in my you. fears here. Um. <laughs> think about when you just got started and things you wanted to do and knew you needed to do to be successful. And I mean, what oh, what I, caused you maybe? I remember my biggest fear right at the beginning. I don't even have to think about it. My biggest fear was that I had just screwed up, derailed our debt snowball, and made a promise to my wife that I couldn't keep. That's mm. because for me, that that was the part of that challenge. Part of that story was when I got started, we were still in debt. When I got started, we were working multiple jobs between us. I was working oftentimes seven days a week for months, stretches on end. Uh, I remember uh, looking at my calendar at one point, and I had 96 days in a row without a day off. And oftentimes I was working two or even three jobs in the same day. And so in the midst of that, I come through financial coach master training, decide to take on this coaching thing, take on a different way to uh, expand what we were doing and had gotten my wife's approval and permission and blessing to pause our debt snowball, to set aside the money, to come to the training, to build this thing up. And here I was sitting here, having just come home from the training, this was back in the day when it was still hundred uh, percent live before we moved it online. And, and I come home and I'm thinking, I just invested a week of my time. I took off all of the time that was paid otherwise to spend a bunch of money on gas, to drive down here to Nashville, to spend a couple thousand more dollars on the training, plus the cost of my food and such for the travel. I, I'm, I'm in this, by the time I figured it all out, I'm in this for four or 5,000 bucks. That's a significant chunk of our debt. That's a month or two of what we were doing in debt payoff. I potentially just stalled us out in our future if I don't make something happen. And the fear of coming home and telling my wife, I know I said I was going to do this, but watch me fail instead was terrifying. Mm. And it's one of those horrible things because to be crippled by that fear in that moment would have caused the thing I was afraid of to happen. The only way that I could get past that fear was to not be afraid of it. And I know that sounds really counterintuitive, but it, it sucked. But that's that was the reality of our situation at that point. Mm. That's legit right there. Um, yeah, you definitely want to take care of your family. Um, Lisa, I can't imagine anything ever scared you, but stretch. Okay. <laughs> there is no stretch here, I promise. Um, well, as Tim was talking, as Tim was talking, I was trying to think through, you know, there's, for me, I, I, I quanti- or qualify fear in two different ways, those that are real and those that are not, right? Mm-hmm. And what I mean by the real are those cautionary feel, uh, you know, uh, fears, like, you know, look both ways before you cross the road, right? There, it, it, it causes you do smart things actually if if we're looking at it that way and then there are those irrational fears you know that and i'm seeing a lot of those in the chat box what if i can't what if this happens not enough and you know those types of things and and fear tends to want us they it's distracting you know it it makes us look at the things we can't do and that we're incapable of or what we think we're incapable of or not equipped to do and then you know it's the big blue scary monster behind the you know, a curtain and you don't want to cross through the room. You know, um, it's the things that go bump in the night. They wake us up and, you know, that kind of thing. So there have been so many things that have 
woken me up in the middle of the night. And um, as a coach, I would say one of the realest fears, Tim got real with his, his wife, right, and his family. And for, for me, probably the same, um, because this is something I feel called to do. It's something, it's, it, it chose me, I didn't choose it. It's part of who I am. Um, and uh, my fear is that I miss what's important with my family. Um, and that's a beginning story for me with coaching. It was, it's a real thing. Am I, what am I going to miss? Will I, uh, will I lose my boundaries and, and, and make a wrong decision that goes against the grain of my values? And, and that is putting my family first. Will I be distracted in a conversation with one of my children? Will I have so much work that needs to be done because the work never ends, right? That it gets in the way of my presence at home. Um, and so that has been, that's been from the beginning um with coaching even before coaching that's just part of something that scares me um and there have been times in my life that i have allowed it so it's real it's it is that cautionary feel look uh, fear look both ways you know and and, and i think about that as we were kids we get our we we lived in Louisville and one of the busiest highways, eight lane highway called Dixie Highway. If anybody's familiar with Louisville, I think we have a couple of Louisvillians on the call. Um, uh, seven years old, popping across that highway like I'm Frogger or something, right? And not paying attention to the fears. I, I was reckless, you know, in that. And so I think Less, that's how we'll boil it all down is my rec my recklessness, the distractions, the uh, loosening my boundaries, whatever it is. But the result, the real fear is I'm going to miss something with my kids, with my husband, something that's important, something that's more impactful in life than this. I love what Scott put in there. Uh, fear is false expectations appearing real. <laughs> F-E-A-R. Love that. Uh, Justin, what say you? Early in my career, I gave some advice to a client that ended up costing him about $4,500 on his tax bill because mm. I gave the wrong information. And so for me, it's still one that I struggle with today from time to time, but it's the fear of giving the wrong information or the wrong answer that puts my client in a worse position. Now, um, real quick for clarity, Justin, what were you doing early on in that career that that happened? Because I, I know that I want to make sure that people understand the separation of coaching versus what you were doing when that advice happened. Oh, well, you know, I was, I was a financial advisor, so I was giving some investment advice on what to do. But, you know, it could easily be done as a coach if you're not careful, too. That's, mm -hmm. that's not a... I know that's what I was at the time, but that's not a, you know, a line there. We can, as coaches, easily put ourselves in a position where we're telling our clients to make a move in a certain way on their finances that can be the wrong direction. I think that's where that fear is stemming from. I don't, I don't want to be in that position again, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. a client can hear something that I say in a coaching session, whether I mean it to or not, Tim. And they can go take action on that. And from there, all kinds of stuff, right? And so mm. for, for me, those of you that know me, right? I, 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 like, I don't like to be wrong. And it's not because it's an arrogance or ego thing, but it's to me the, the giving wrong information can be one of the, like my biggest fears because I, I don't want to tell something wrong to someone. It needs to be accurate. It needs to be right. And so that's something that's, that still plays in the back of my mind in any conversation I'm in. Am I giving accurate information? That's why you'll notice sometimes those that know me well, I tend to not talk early on. I sit back. I listen. I absorb. I think through. Then I'll say something. Um, and sometimes that can be a detriment because I don't jump in earlier. Lisa's always pushing me. Come on, Justin, get in here. I know you got something to say. Um, and so, yeah, that's just part of who I am. Mm -hmm. I, I've told this story often, but we have new people on here. So um, for me, it was 
the first time I was going to do a coaching session. I was fully trained. I couldn't have been better trained. Larry Burkett, his staff was incredible. Um, and I just thought to myself, who am I? It was self-doubt. You know, I was fearful that, I don't know if anyone can identify with this. I don't think I'll be enough, mm-hmm. right? I don't know that I have enough. Um, and, and so for me, when I became a coach and this first coaching session was 20 years after my graduation and I hardly graduated high school, hardly graduated. I, I almost didn't graduate. <laughs> I, I don't know how you hardly graduate, but you either do or you don't, right? But uh, I had to wait until the night before to see if I was even going to graduate. I was going to get a phone call to see if I was going to be able to walk across the stage. It was a very scary thing, but I kind of earned that right because of the way I handled you know, my studies or lack of studies and things like that. But the reality is I flunked every math class in high school. <laughs> I just F flunked, right? Um, and this and was it, his history book. And, <laughs> math, math, not history. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, you couldn't possibly fail history. There was like two days to know. <laughs> so, so, so here I am 20 years later, think about it, two decades later, in my mind, in my spirit, I'm still saying, I flunked math. Now, in my day, there was a thing called general math. They don't even know what that is today. And I flunked general math. And then they put me in algebra. How do you suppose that went for me, right? It's like, really? Um, But the reality is 20 years later, that still haunted me. Speaking of Halloween, that still haunted me. And I was fearful that I couldn't help someone with their finances. Who am I? And so Mm -hmm. I was having one of those imposter moments that we talk about. I absolutely cannot do this, right? And so how do you combat that? How do you overcome your fears? For me, for me, it was simply helping these people irregardless. Um, Irregardless, there we go. (laughs) She's right. She's right. (laughs) She said I use that. And there I go. Okay. (laughs) And it's not even a word, Tim says. Um, But it should be. But it should be. Okay. Um, but even though, even though, um, I didn't feel like I was enough, um, I wanted to honor the pastor cause he actually said this couple and he got me trained. He paid for my trip to, uh, Georgia and got trained with, you know, the Burkett team. Uh, and I wanted to honor him. I wouldn't have done it for myself. I gotta be honest. Uh, but I wanted to honor him. So when he said, would you help this couple? He paid for my training. I was like, I couldn't say no. Um, so yes. So to honor him, I sat down, helped this couple. And uh, I came away from that uh, very first coaching session. Uh, it's about 30, over 30 years ago now. And I came away from that saying, hmm, or thinking, that went well. <laughs> and I even, when, when I got home, my wife was all excited. She goes, what do you think? What happened? And I said, it actually went well. She goes, duh. You know, that's why our wives encourage us. <laughs> so that that duh told me she had more <laughs> she had more faith in me than I had in myself. And so coaches, how do you overcome this fear? There are so many ways to be scared as a coach, so many ventures we can get into and so many things we could take on or consider. How do we as coaches, how do the coaches listening to this, how do we overcome those fears, those scary moments? that would maybe keep us like being a deer in the headlights, right? I was recently talking with uh, my wife about this, about something related, but different, a different type of fear. Uh, but related to this call, it, my answer is still the same. And for me, I got to keep doing it. Because my natural inclination is to shrink back from, the, from whatever I'm fearful of and not engage. Um, but what I've learned is that in spite of fear, have, have the courage, have the bravery to step back into the arena anyway. And it's not necessarily that I become less fearful, although there, there is a, a degree of that, but that anxiety will still wear well up in me from time to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, it's, I got to step back into the arena because I know what will happen if I don't, the times that I have chosen to let fear 
win and I, I remove myself from that scenario, right? I don't coach again. I don't do that. Um, I don't get better. I get the same or worse. And so the only way that I can really start to conquer that fear um, is to continue to engage with the process. It doesn't mean I'm going to do it perfectly. It doesn't mean I'm going to even do it better every time. It's not a linear progression, but the practice of continuing to stay engaged with that that uh, I'm fearful of allows me the continued opportunity to get better. Plus, you also mentioned the, the imposter moments, uh, sometimes referred to as imposter syndrome. We prefer the term imposter moments around here because it's not a full, complete syndrome. It's not a pathology. It's moments of, of feeling fear. And, and I had a realization. I was actually just on a call with some coaches yesterday. And I had a realization that I hadn't felt like an imposter in a while. And, and I had to track with myself for a while and figure that why that was and how to how I was kind of overcoming that. And I realized what it was, was I stopped trying to be somebody else. Right? But we, we so focus on the syndrome side of things or those moments of like, oh, I don't feel right. Well, it's because I'm trying to be somebody else. If I'm trying to coach mm -hmm. like Dave Ramsey, I'm not being myself. If I'm trying to coach like Lisa or Les or Justin or, or any of the 354 coaches on this call, if I'm trying to coach like anybody who isn't me, no wonder I feel like an imposter. I'm not being authentic. And so for me, I've, I've discovered one of the antidotes to the imposter moment is authenticity. And that can carry its own set of fears with it, right? Because then we get back into this fear of, am I good enough? Well, let me help you all with this. Ready? You're not. Yay. Right? Happy Halloween. <laughs> Trick or treat. Apparently I chose trick because I just told you all you're not good enough and it's right. But here's why this is so important. And some of you have been throwing uh, different scriptures in here. And I love these. And, and I actually want to bring in a particular one at this point, because I think it's a really important one. Uh, this is from Joshua chapter one. So Joshua has just assumed leadership of the nation of Israel. Moses, his mentor has just passed away. Joshua is pretty much at this point, the only person alive who saw the Exodus out of Egypt and has now survived long enough to see this. His faithfulness has prepared him for this moment to take over from Moses, who has now passed away. Joshua gets elevated to this position and now has the enviable or unenviable position, if you will, of leading God's chosen people into the land that he promised them, and it was going to be messy. By the way, y'all are following the news. It's still messy. Thousands and thousands of years later, it's still going on. But listen to what was said here. This was God's words to Joshua in this moment, starting in verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so part of this is, is recognizing I'm not good enough because if I was good enough, I take away the opportunity for God to show up. I'm not good enough so that God can use me to do these things that don't make any sense because God consistently chooses the people who don't make sense to do amazing things. And God's plans are far longer term than ours. They're far more in depth than ours. They're far better than ours. And I realize that my role is not to bring God's plan to earth. My role is to show up and say, how will you use me today? And simply be that vessel and realize it's not about me. If I'm good enough, if I'm strong enough, then it's also my fault when it fails. I let go of all of that. And one of the greatest ways I've learned to get rid of fear is to release this grasp of holding on to, I have to be the one that solves it. I have to fix it. I have to be the one who takes this on. When I let that go, the imposter moments disappear and the fear goes with them. I have a feeling you have something to say, Lisa. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> and uh, the ideas, though, that are being produced here, right? The authenticity and, um, you know, uh, 
it's always the imposter moments, all of the things we're talking about here. The thing is, is that we're going to get off of this call today and we're all going to experience something. We're going to have a fear. We're going to have an imposter moment. We're going to, these things that you're talking, the spider is going to climb out of the bottom of the cabinet. Y'all were talking about spiders, right? Something's going to happen. And um, these are such amazing reminders of the, the idea of who am I, what, do I, what am I called to, what am I created to be, and it, in those moments that that fear comes up and could, you, you know, we're going to have one of uh, several different types of responses, the, 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 the most common of these would be fight, fight, or freeze, right, Tim, and um, so our response, would, how do we, how do we respond to that, and um, so knowing me, knowing myself, knowing my nature, and knowing the fear, identifying the root of the fear, because, you know, all the things you're putting in the chat boxes, y'all, am I going to be good enough that Tim talked about? That's elusive. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, you can, you, you, you think you can catch the enough. You cannot. You're going to chase yourself ragged, and uh, because you're never going to be. So, if we're dwelling on that, instead, then we aren't being authentic, right, Tim? I mean, because we're thinking mm -hmm. about what we should be, need to be, could be. I remember doing a coaching session with a, co uh, a young man one time, and he just kept using this word, I'm wrestling with this, I'm wrestling with this, I'm wrestling this, and I, my kids wrestled, and so I knew what that was like. Y'all, think about the scripture, the word of God, when Jacob wrestled, right? What happened? He dislocated his hip. I know what that's like. Y'all, you've hurt yourself. You've injured yourself in these fights, right? In these wrestling matches. And I finally just asked him, who are you wrestling with? There's just a single man standing in front of me. Mm. He said, you know, I'm wrestling with the man that I am. And he's versus the man that I think I should be. Mm. <sighs> He said that not just for himself, he said it for me. I needed to hear it too. And that's that when it boils, all boils down us. I think that's really it. it, it what's going on here, our fears, we're wrestling with what we know to be true. We're wrestling with what, who we know we are, who we are true to, our beliefs, our value systems. All of those things are competing with something. And we're fighting that. And that's when fears come up. So I would challenge all of you who have identified, you know, my fear comes from I'm not good enough. I don't know this. I can't have that. Mm -hmm. I, this is not working. This is, you know, to really spend some time on that. Dig deeper because who is it you're really <clears throat> wrestling with? Good stuff. Good stuff. So we hear the shortened version of the quote. I want to read more of the quote from the inauguration of Franklin D. Roosevelt. This great nation will endure as it has endured, will revive, and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Man, I love the way when you read it all in its text, it's like, and, and when we think about advancing, when we think about needed work, right? As coaches, our clients need us. They need us to be there. They need us to be there with confidence, right? That we can step into their world and meet them where they are and guide them through whatever it is that they need us to help them guide through. And so when we think about fear and just fearing the fear itself, right? What can help us as we think about working with people, what can help us get past that initial fear if we're focusing on them, right? How do we get past our own ourselves, right? How do we get past us? And what a lot of people talked about prayer, I know I personally do not do a coaching session unless I pray. Um, to me, I just don't want to do it on my own because I'm, you know, I don't want to mess it up. Right, Justin? We just don't want to mess it up because these people are, I think that was the most fearful thing I had is this person, that very first coaching session, these people, this couple, they're counting on me to help them. 
they're just flat out counting on me to help them. I don't know if I like that feeling. <laughs> and so it's the fear itself that caused me to fear that I won't be enough, right? How do we get past that? How do we get it off of us and put it back on, on, on the actual people we're helping? I think that is the key, Les, is to make it not about me and the other person. Um, uh, kind of a sidebar fear that I had as well was knowing the number that I was charging and wondering, is this person really getting that amount of value out of spending some time with me? Um, that, that was one that I, I struggled with as well. And I, the way to overcome that is when I kept the focus on me, like you were talking about less, it was hard for me to answer that well. And I didn't have confidence. And when I didn't have confidence in myself, how is this person going to have confidence in me as their coach, right? We're, we're the leaders, we're the guides in this process. And so, um, asking questions and, and moving the spotlight off of me and back onto my client was the way that I overcame that. And so I changed up how I did things where I would start a conversation, whether it was a conversation, consultation, or a coaching session. Uh, one of the questions I would start with is, well, what would be most valuable to you for us to talk about? What's on your mind? Right? How can I help today? Just some basic questions like that right at the beginning, right up front, sets the stage that it's not about me as the coach. It's not about what I think we ought to talk about today. It's not what's on my agenda for today. It was about this person. And when I started shifting the way I did things so that the, the tone, the focus right from the very beginning was on this person, man, people open up. They'll do that, right? You start asking some of those questions, people will blossom and flower and they will open up if they feel mm -hmm. like you're a safe person to talk to, someone that they can trust to be able to talk to. And for me, that was a way that I could shift that focus off of me. Because when I when I would feel like the spotlight's on me as the coach, I would I would trend towards performance mode. Mm. I got I got to perform in this session, right? I got to give them value, right? And that's that's about me. But when I shift that focus to them, they get to set the stage. And I, it was more helpful for the client. They got what they needed. And it wasn't reliant on me anymore. And that was such a relief to me in those moments, being able to move it to that person. And really, that, that's what they needed anyway. So that's something I've done. And you hit on something there, Justin performing i could definitely have fear i i used to do a lot of theater in my younger years and i was i was afraid every time i was about to go on stage i was performing oh that's huge that's huge as a coach yeah if i'm gonna go and perform <laughs> yeah i should be scared <laughs> wow lisa talk about that i i, I love lisa your phrase because we we used to hear, and it's pretty popular to say, you know, are you scared? Yeah, do it scared. But what do you like to say? You don't like to say, do it scared. What do you like to I, say? I really don't because the, the scare thing, I'm, then I'm focusing on the fear and the scared, right? <laughs> but but I, I want you to do it brave, right? When we, sit, when we make that first step, it's brave. That, that first step is the, is the first action toward bravery. We make the decision. We can decide to be brave in our head, but until we do it, we're not, okay? And it's like that with everything else. And so uh, so if we're afraid, if we're, if we're uncovering some of this, like Justin's talking about performance, somebody in the chat box asked me to elaborate on low esteem being pride. And um, that somebody else put in their false humility. And that is, oh, I'm not good enough for that. Well, I, I'm here to tell you if the Lord himself has called you to do this and he said, you're going to do this. Well, and then you sit back and say, but, 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 but. We Sounds come like here Moses. to talk about your butts. <laughs> That's right. And it, it worked it out so well for Jonah. 
Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, great examples, y'all. And I could give you all of my own examples, right, of the times that I low lowly esteemed myself and I took myself completely out of the blessing of the, the, the very thing he called me to do. Right. That's 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 the thing. I, you know, and if I focus on it, it, you're asking about how do I do how to go from the fear to stepping into it. And, mm -hmm. um, and it is, it is that focusing on, I put in the chat books, I'm, I'm, I'm not even second chair. My, my client is their own expert. Y'all remember that your client is the expert. They know more about their situation than you do or ever will. So, you know, quit thinking you're the expert. First of all, stop it, you know? And then secondly, <laughs> Whoa, she um, just chastised but, us. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, <laughs> and, then, and, and then the other part of that is that God's in the lead here, the Holy Spirit. So I would challenge you guys when you're praying before you go into that session, don't just pray specifically. Don't just say, hey, Lord, be with me. Give me the wisdom. You know what? He is the wisdom. He is mm -hmm. the presence. He is the person. He is the hope. He is the information. He, it's him, not me, and not any other source, Google or anything else. So if I, if I step into that session, I'm performing, Justin, without specifically saying, I'm, I'm third chair. I'm just sitting over here, y'all, letting it happen. Introducing a right relationship with the one who can heal, restore, bring wisdom, bring life, to re-energize, to infect, to, to, to diminish shame and restore honor. I, that's not me. I can't do it. So my specifically, specific prayer is I, I'm third chair. That's it. I, I can't. And, and maybe I don't even need to be in the room for heaven's sakes. Y'all ever think about that? Mm -hmm. Right? So. Well, James 1.4, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives without reservation. So I, I also love this thought as we're thinking about fear and, and the idea of doing it brave versus doing it scared. Because y'all, I, I don't think we should eradicate our fear. I, I think our fear is sometimes misplaced and misdirected, but I don't think it should be eradicated. Uh, there, there's a lot of specific verses in the Bible that talk about proper fear. I, I, I've pulled up a couple of them. Uh, Matthew 10, 28, and do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy one is understanding. First Peter 2, 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the King. Right. Old and new Testament. We are given this command to put our fear in the proper place. And going back even to the verse I threw from Joshua, it didn't say, like, don't be afraid. It said, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Like, put that fear in the right spot. So at least was saying, I, I fear not showing up in the right way or showing up too much. Oftentimes, my prayer before sessions is, God, shut me up. Please put your hand over my mouth because I'm going to say something stupid. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in the way. I'm going to make this about me. I'm going to do something I shouldn't. I'm going to be performative. I'm going to do any of these things we've talked about. My prayer is that you will show up here and just push me aside. That my whole role here was to just to make the introduction between you and this person. Because that's something that's really, really special that gets to happen. And, and I'll, I'll even tell you here at Ramsey Solutions, this is a big push inside of Ramsey Solutions. For years, we have said we get people out of debt. That's a really cool trick. What we really exist for is to introduce people to who Jesus is. And by the way, I understand that not everyone on this call agrees with us on this, and I'm okay with that. You're welcome to shoot us an email, and we'll, we'll happily talk about this with you. I know that there are people in coaching who are wonderful coaches that very much disagree and completely disagree with us where we are on a relationship with God. Totally cool with that, too. Let's have that conversation. Right? But we believe here that it's not even just about that getting people out of debt is a neat trick. We're talking about something that is important because this creates the opportunity to have real conversations, real people created in the image of God that need help. And that is the entire push of this entire organization. 
And if we're not doing something towards that end, we're doing something wrong. And that's where our fear is properly placed because our fear is that we get to the end of our lives. We stand before God who asks us to tell us what we did with what he gave us and we screwed it up and we missed the opportunity. We didn't take it. We pushed back and we made it about ourselves. We did everything other than what we were supposed to do, which is show up and help people understand this is who God is. This is what real relationship with God looks like. This is what the message of the gospel is. So when we place our fear in the proper place, it changes how we approach everything. And it changes how we walk into sessions. You know, I don't walk into a session with a fear of, am I going to know the right answer anymore? I used to. I don't anymore because that's not what my purpose is. I don't walk into a session worried, am I going to give them bad advice? If I'm going to give them any advice, it's, Talk to God because he cares about you. He made you. He has you specially created, and he wants to have a relationship with you. Talk to him about it. You have that ability to do so. And that advice has never once blown up in my face and never will. But when we shift our focus and we fear the right thing for the right reasons, it changes everything in our approach. And the things that we can do that don't matter as much, and they still matter, but it, it's not something we need to fear. We set that fear aside and we step in and we do what we're made to do and what we're called to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And coaches, all of you out there listening, um, even if, you, if you're listening to the recording, I want to challenge you. What fears, justified or not justified, what fears are holding you back? What fears are stopping you from being who you're supposed to be? Um, we have such an incredible opportunity. I, I love, you know, I used to approve coaches for a decade and I used to tell them your life will never be the same after we made a decision that they were going to, you know, come through the training and uh, they were making a commitment to be a coach and, and your life really never will be the same as a coach. And it's such a shame when these fears hold us back from really grabbing that mantle and being who we were designed to be by God. And so I want to challenge you to really reflect and think through this and pray through it. If you're a person of prayer, what's holding me back that, that could be, it could be a justified or unjustified in most cases, fear. Um, so in-house coaches, um, how can you encourage all these coaches listening to this, this challenge that I just threw out, how can you encourage them to not have that barrier in their coaching careers? How do they not have that barrier and just be the person God intended them to be and fight through these blocking, these blockers that we call fear, we call scared, how, how, how do they get past that? I, I can tell you what's coming just to the top of my mind on this is, um, and uh, when I started my coaching career, yes, we were training coaches all those years ago through here, but we didn't have a network of coaches. So I really had no choice. I, if somebody wanted coaching, it was me or nothing. And y'all, there were times they might have been better off with nothing, you know, and I'll admit that because I learned, you know, I'm, I'm a better coach today than I was yesterday. I hope anyway, it never, that never stops. And so there are two things that come to my mind is number one, I, I had to become content in not only being that do I want to be authentic, the real Lisa, but I have to be content with that. I have to like me. I have to, I have to enjoy learning about me and knowing me and growing me um, and, and not, and not think I need to be, remember the wrestling, right? Wrestling with the person I think I should be. So I have to be content and like me. Y'all, some of you are not kind to yourself and you're not liking you. And, 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 but Jesus loves you just right like you are, doesn't matter, warts and all, right? If we're thinking about this time of year. Then the second thing is, is this, is even now, if, if there's a situation that seems a bit overwhelming or I'm feeling some fear, something comes up, you know, because they, you're right, they will never go away. 
we, we, we put up safeguards and boundaries. They will happen and they will come in at the when we least expect it. You know, that's kind of how the enemy works and that's how our minds work. So decide that you have no choice. You know, I, in a point in my life, I had no choice. I, I, either I did it or I didn't do my job, right? And, and, uh, and it evolved that way. Now I have choices, but I still act as if I don't because this is too important. No matter the situation, no matter how big, small, whatever it is, whatever's going on with somebody, if there's mental illness, if there's uh, suicidal thoughts, and, and if, if there's a marriage about to break down, and if I start thinking about, I have a choice, I'm not equipped there, I can't do that, I let me find somebody else, I'm looking for a plan B, right? Isn't there a famous story, y'all, about that, where the burn the boats? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There, Ooh, there is no. I, that there's is just so no good. Plan B. There's just no plan B. I just, I can't. I have no choice. I got to do it. And if I put myself at that, if I make that choice immediately, and then I step into it, don't dwell in the decisions. Somebody prayed that over me recently. Do not dwell in decisions. Be quick to obedience. So if you, well, let me pray about that. What, what does the word say? Ask, and you'll be given ask do i need to do this yes no yeah do, okay yeah i'm all in right it can be that simple y'all it can be that simple my encouragement's a question and it's a question i'm starting to use more lately but just going to carry on with the wrestling analogy who's in, in a your steel corner? chair oh if you're wrestling. oh boy who's in your corner <laughs> right, lisa was challenging you all about being honest with yourself, standing, burning the bridges, right? Um, having that, or burn the ship, sorry. Having that mentality of, I've, I've got to do this. That's 100%. Secondary to that is, who's in your corner? Okay? Why? Okay, wrestling's around, not a corner. Go with me here. Who's in your corner to help you as you're doing this? If you're relying on a real talk call that we do once every two weeks, to be the only encouragement for you as a coach. I don't know that you're in, that, any, that you have anyone in your corner. Who's in your life? Who's going with you to battle as you're in the ring, right? Who's on that sideline encouraging, coaching you, mentoring you, pushing you forward? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out something here. Uh, oftentimes we hear that question, who's in my corner? And you only think of one person. And I want to encourage you that that who is in your corner, that's not a singular call out. I'd rather you have one than none, but I'd rather you have a hundred than one. Who is in your corner? Who is with you in this fight? Uh, because there's going to be times, there's going to be days that you're going to get knocked down. And you may not have it in you to get back up that day. Mm -hmm. Who's in your corner? So that'd be my question to you. I think my first and biggest encouragement here is to be who you were created to be. Mm -hmm. Right? There's that great old saying that says, always be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Unless you can be Batman and then be Batman. But that, that's the internet's version of it. But be I am who you Batman. <laughs> now you just gave away your secret identity. <laughs> uh, but being a way, be, being able to look at your situation and say, like, this is who I really am. Let me live in who I am and not just who I want to be uh, being who you are today. I saw a bunch of people asking throughout the uh, chat box today of the question of, can I even start coaching people if I'm still working this process myself? Can I coach people if I'm not out of debt? Can I coach people if I'm still working through the baby step? Can I coach people in each of these cases? And the answer is yes. At some point, it, it's important that we get started. Right? The, the fear is what keeps us here. The fear is what keeps us down. The fear is what keeps us from starting. The, the fear displaced, the fear in the wrong direction, the fear of not being authentic or not having the success or not being able to connect with somebody or somebody walking away or not being able to build the practice we want. All these fears, y'all, like they're real, but they don't have to be. They're real, but they don't have to be. We can displace 
those fears and put the, uh, the right fear in the right spot and focus on who we were created to be. Listen, if God has put you in a spot to do a thing, there is no better spot for you to be there than doing that thing because God doesn't make a mistake when he puts somebody in a position. Jesus was not plan B. Adam and Eve didn't eat the fruit in the garden and cause God to go, oh crap, what just happened? My whole plan out the window. Now I have to put together this intricate plan over thousands of years to set myself up, to, to send my son into the world, to do these things. Like, that was always plan A. The beginning of the plan was knowing that people were going to screw it up. That's where it started. We're, we're not going to thwart God's plans. We're not going to mess up God's plans. God's plans are God's plans, and they're bigger than any of us. And so when I realized that's my real position in the world, I can take the fear off of where the fear doesn't need to be, and I can put my fear in the proper place, and I can respond in the right way. And then I can step out and understand those words, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged because you know that the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. Because I'm going exactly where he's laid out for me to go. There's no better place to be than smack dab in the center of God's will for your life. None. Mm. It's good stuff. Good stuff. And, and I think I, I'm sitting here thinking that a lot of times the fears that we're carrying don't really manifest as truth. They don't really they're not what they appear to be in our minds ahead of time. I, <laughs> I told that story about my brother and his Frankenstein stuff. Well, I had this idea. Uh, we had an upstairs house at the time, and I was four foot nothing growing up. I was just a tiny little kid. My sister, she was six foot as a teenager. So, I mean, she was huge. And she was coming through the kitchen, and I was on the other side of the doorway, and I was standing up on a chair, and I had my brother's full frankenstein mask over my head and i timed it out with her footsteps just when she was going to come to the doorway and i stuck my head right in front of hers there's a frankenstein mask and of course in her fear she's going ah right it's like this huge creature and, and then when she looks a little further into it i'm this little munchkin come up to her waist right it really wasn't a big fearful frankenstein but that's what she was thinking initially and I think that's how we as coaches, sometimes we go into something so fearful and yet the reality is it's honestly not going to be, and it rarely manifests itself as we get into it. Um, and so that was just an illusion in her mind when she first saw the mask and it really wasn't what she thought and it came down to it, literally came down to it off the chair. Right. And so, um, all we have to fear is fear itself. I think, I think what Justin said too, I love because who's in your corner, who's your accountability. If you say I'm going to have 10 conversations today and you're talking yourself out of it, but you have people that are going to hold you accountable at the end of the day. Okay. So you told me you're going to have 10 conversations. Did you have those? And you have to say, no, I didn't. I was afraid, <laughs> right? The more you have to do that and fess up and have that accountability around you, the more you're going to actually do it in spite of how you feel, in spite of what fear may be there, right? As Lisa said, do it brave and knowing that you're going to be accountable for maybe not following through on what you said you were going to do. So, so sometimes you have to be almost forced into it, but you'll be glad you were, right? And so uh, good conversation. Thank you, Tim, Lisa. Uh, any, uh, Justin, any last minute thoughts for, for this idea today? Do not let this book of the law depart from your lips. Meditate on it day and night. <laughs> do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged because do you know that the Lord, your God will go with you wherever you go. How do we so, say it any better than that? Yeah. Y'all, and, and everybody could say something else, but let's let's wrap it up in prayer today. How about that, y'all? We talked a lot about prayer and, and how, we, how we displace fear, right? Take it under control. We're going into war. This is a battle, y'all, and we often suit up like we're going on to a playground rather than a battleground. And that is, that is I mean, think about those images, right? We're going to get beaten, bloodied, and bruised if we're not prepared. And most of the time, it's by our own hand. So Take us out, finish, Lisa. Finish up in prayer. Oh, oh, me. All right. Yeah, I can do Take it. Take us out. 
All right. Uh, Lord God, man, what an honor. What an honor to just be in your presence and to bask in your glory. Lord God, you are the source of all things, mm-hmm. everything that we need. Right now, every coach I, I, on hearing this, listening, just state your need in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, maybe even out loud. What do you need? One thing, ask boldly, request with confidence that it will be heard and answered in what manner God sees fit. Burn the boats. Burn the boats. We we have no choice but to do this because somebody on the other side of our conversation is desperate and in despair. They may not even know it for heaven's sake, but Lord, you know, and I ask, I ask this boldly, that you reveal to each coach on this call today, right today, exactly who it is they need to talk to. Mm -hmm. Just one person, whether it's a happenstance bump into them in the, in the grocery store, or if they, somebody's brought to mind and the Lord, Lord, you prompt them to pick up the phone and dial their number. It's as simple as that. We don't even have to dial anymore. We can just speak their name out loud. The Lord hears it. Jesus is already spending time with them. We just need to go there. Get us out of this this, this silliness of being scared, Lord God, and help us step into being brave. Don't dwell in your decision or indecision, but instead, Lord, obedience everyone here quick to obedience in jesus name i pray amen 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 thank you everyone for joining us today and we'll see you in two weeks it'll actually be november november 1st god bless you have yourselves an incredible week